Well, you turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6, Proverbs chapter 6, and the guys have some Bibles. If you need a Bible, get their attention as they make their way to the back, and they'll get one of those to you, and keep it as our gift. Bring it back each week. Proverbs 6, it's marked for you in those Bibles. The leadership team of our church, which consists of our four pastors and our deacons, operates according to several of the principles that have guided us over the life of our church. Some of those are from the legendary Michigan football coach, Bo Schembechler. The team, the team, the team. That means that every decision that we make is for the benefit of others, namely the congregation that God has called us to lead. Another of those principles is that leaders are to motivate by vision more than command. So we seek to expand the vision of those we lead so that they see where we're going and they want to help us get there. Another is don't reinvent the wheel. That requires the humility to accept the fact that others have done it better or at least as well as we do or could. Another is don't wait until it's perfect to start. Every endeavor can be improved, so waiting until it's perfect means that you'll never begin. Yet another is, if you cannot follow, then you're not qualified to lead. That is, all of those who are in authority are also under authority. And we must demonstrate the ability to submit before we ask others to do so. The final one is Don't wait until it's broke to fix it. Now, we've all heard the conventional wisdom, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But although that is wise in many cases, it's not always so. If you know it's going to break, then you should take measures to avoid foreseeable problems. So make changes today for issues that you know will arise in the future. That is, prepare today for what you know will, in fact, break tomorrow. For example, as a church grows, there are identifiable stages that it will go through, with each stage having its own challenges and requiring that you prepare for it before it arrives. To state it another way, we need to look ahead at the road that God has put before us and then prepare to travel that road miles before we arrive. The Bible extols forward thinking in the passage to which I've asked you to turn. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. The description of the ant's activity shows that although it appears to have no leader, even though it actually does have organization and cooperation, still it provides for the future with great industry. And the classic example of such wise foresight is Joseph in Genesis chapter 41, preparing for a famine that he knew was to come. And churches need to do the same. Prepare for the future. And so in a mini-series that begins today, we want to start the new year doing that very thing. 
We're going to return to our series in the book of Revelation in just a few weeks. But over the next several weeks, we're going to prepare ourselves as a church for the year 2020. Let's bow now and ask God to help us as we do. Father, we thank you again that we have arrived here by your plan, by your sovereign control to the final Lord's Day of 2019. And Lord, we don't know that we'll make it to January 1st, but in anticipation of doing so, we want to individually and collectively as your church move forward in a way that honors and pleases you. And so, Lord, we are going to spend these next few weeks, should you allow, to make plans, to think about what needs to be done in order to move from where you have brought us to where we believe you want us to go. And so we ask for your wisdom. We ask you to grant us open hearts and attentive minds as we think about these matters. Lord, we will give you the praise for all you accomplish in and through us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now, over our church's 18 years, our method of informing the congregation about our plans has evolved. At the beginning, and for several years, we had an overnight retreat at which we discussed our plans for the coming year. We then, after some years, transitioned to an annual what we called Servant Seminar in the spring. And that was offered on a Saturday for three hours and again on Sunday afternoon for those who were able, unable to make the Saturday session. Those sessions were reasonably well attended by over half of our membership over the years. But nevertheless, that left a significant number who may be unaware of our plans. And so starting last year, we decided to move those sessions to Sunday morning at the beginning of each new year in order to be able to inform the greatest number. Now, before we look at our far and near objectives, though, I want to take some time to justify doing this kind of planning at all, because some may wonder whether or not this is a legitimate pursuit. While these next few weeks are different from what we normally do during this time on Sunday morning, I believe there is ample biblical precedent and principle to commend these sessions that we're going to have both today and over the next few weeks. So I want to show you that from Scripture. We have on the back of your program today the outline for today's message. So if you don't have that yet, I encourage you to take a look at that. And we say, first of all there, that the Bible commends planning. One reason that I feel the need to justify what we're doing today and over the next few weeks is because I've noticed over the years that there's a myth regarding the early church And that myth sees the early church as somehow unburdened by administrative details. And this false view of the early church has developed due to two facts. The first is that the biblical account of the early church, as presented primarily in the fifth book of your New Testament, the book of of Acts, that account is presented as a narrative rather than a how-to manual. So it's giving you a story, it's giving us a story, but it's not giving us all the details to be read between the lines with regard to everything they had to do in order for those things we read about to happen. And then secondly, in that narrative, the events of several years are compressed into just a few short verses. And the result of this compression then is the illusion that as you read through the book of Acts, things just happened. 
So you read, and then one thing happens, and then the next thing happens, and things are just happening. But in fact, as you read more closely of the early church in the book of Acts, you see things like I say in the outline, that the early church engaged in, for example, meetings. Meetings. Now, if you work at a place and you've had to endure meetings, you're probably like most of us, you hate meetings. You've probably been in meetings where you think that the person who called the meeting could just as well start it by saying, I called this meeting because I'm lonely. (laughs) Not because we're really going to accomplish anything. So meetings have a well-earned bad reputation. But they were a necessary part of the ministry of first century churches, and they're a necessary part of any church that wants to organize itself well and efficiently to move forward. And the book of Acts reveals that administrative meetings were held on several occasions to address a number of issues. For example, in Acts chapter 6, the church met to address a problem that had arisen regarding the ministry uh, given to uh, in benevolence to widows. In Acts chapter 11, the church met to consider the question of accepting Gentiles into the church. In Acts chapter 13, the church met for the commissioning of the first missionaries. Acts 15, they met to consider the question of requirements to be placed on Gentile converts. And so even though the Bible only highlights the major events of the early years of the church, we should not therefore conclude that the church functioned without extensive administrative planning. The evidence from the record of the book of Acts shows the opposite to be true. The Bible commends planning. The early church engaged, therefore, in meetings. And, I say in the outline, the early church engaged in implementation. They not only discussed what needed to be done, but also determined how to accomplish or implement those plans. For example, when they met to address the problem of service to the widows in the church, they implemented a plan to solve the problem by creating the office of deacon. And so the Bible tells us in Acts 6, the 12 gathered all the disciples together and they said, it's not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. So the early church engaged in meetings, in implementation of the plans that were laid out in those meetings. And then thirdly, the early church engaged in evaluation. At the close of the first missionary journey that's recorded in Acts chapters 13 and 14, Paul and Barnabas returned to the church at Antioch from where they had been sent, and they presented the details of their ministry among the Gentiles. Acts chapter 14 says, on arriving there, They gathered the church together and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. The Jerusalem Council meeting recorded in Acts 15 was designed to further evaluate the information presented to the church at Antioch. And so Acts 15 says the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So the Bible commends planning. And you see, even in the first century church, that looks like it's not burdened with any of the stuff that in fact they did do those things. They met and they implemented and they evaluated. 
what they had implemented. So the Bible commends planning. Secondly, I say in the outline, the church requires planning. The Bible commends it and the church requires it. And the church requires it because the church is an organization. Now, it's much more than just an organization, but it's not less than an organization. And all organizations run the risk of falling into complacency, failing to see what's coming and planning accordingly. And so as a result, the vast majority of churches are declining or have plateaued in our country. If a church is not growing, then it's dying by nature. Have you ever considered that? Because there's going to be attrition through death, the passing of God's people, through relocation, and so on. And so all churches, all as organizations, need to be cognizant of that, thinking about that. And that's why every year when we have presented our plans for the coming year, as we're going to be doing over the next few weeks, I have presented this life cycle of church health. Church life cycle. And I want to remind you of that because, and I do it every year because I think it is that important. And this cycle that I'm going to show you comes from a book by Robert Dale, D-A-L-E, called Keeping the Dream Alive. Keeping the Dream Alive. And in that book, Dale has this life cycle of really any organization, but including a church. And first of all, the they start with a, a dream. The organization starts with a dream. And keeping that dream alive is necessary because of what I just said a bit ago, that there will be a natural direction, if not arrested, the natural direction of any organization is going to be, over time, to decline. And so the organization begins with a dream or a vision. Sometimes those are used interchangeably. I make a distinction, though, between a, a, a dreamer and a visionary. Uh, a dreamer is somebody who has a good idea, but a visionary has a good idea and a plan to get there. <laughs> Dreamers can be very frustrating people because they get you all excited about the plan, but they don't have a plan to get to where they want to go. And so it starts, though, with a dream, and people buy into the vision or the dream. And then, based upon that, coming out of that, there are beliefs that are developed. The group gathers around shared beliefs and values. In the case of our own church, when we started 18 years ago, our core values, and you can find these on our website, were truth and are truth, community, and service. And over the years, we've articulated others, like we want to be a church that is safe to be a sinner. And so the group shares this common vision, gathers around its beliefs and values. And then, having done that, it sets goals. If the group is wise, it'll establish goals and a timetable to achieve those goals. We developed a 15-year plan toward the beginning of our existence as a church. But it's not enough to have vision, values, goals. You need, fourthly, structure to make it move forward. And that means, yes, programs, that means organization. And as I said, the church is more than an organization, 
But the church is not less than an organization. And the pinnacle for the church then of all of that, after all of that has happened, is ministry takes place. The church is in a place now to efficiently reach people with the gospel, grow them in their faith. And if the cycle ended there, everything would be great. But human nature being what it is, it does not just end there. If any organization rests on its laurels, it will decline. And so there's not just the upward side of the slope, there's the downward side as well. And on the downward side, the first thing that starts to happen is nostalgia. Hey, remember when we used to? Remember when it was what it was like when? And then nostalgia goes on for a while, and then that moves to questioning. Do our leaders really know what they're doing? Do we have a direction? And then people set about trying to, to solve those questions, answer those questions by a new program or even new leadership. Let me just say that's a bad idea, okay? <laughs> Nostalgia and then questioning, and that goes on for a while. And then within the group, you have polarization. Camps develop. I'm loyal to my church, right or wrong, one camp, versus people who say I need more. It becomes polarized. And then you allow that to go on long enough, and you get dropout. And that's the death knell for a church. Now, some of you, like me, know of or even have experienced personally this happening in your experience in the life of churches. That this kind of thing has happened. You were there when they were the great days. You are... And then on the top of the downside of the slope, you could look back and remember, remember when. But there were not sufficient changes made in order to accommodate what was coming in the future. And as a result, we finally got down to the, the dropout stage. Now, how do you avoid that? How do you avoid that happening? Well, the way to avoid it is when you get to the top of the, the cycle, When ministry is happening, that's the time to actually dream again. That's the time to restate what it is we're supposed to be about and the values that undergird that and the goals that we have and structure ourselves accordingly so that ministry takes place again and then again and then again. And failure to do that means that an organization will not move forward as it should, including the church. So the Bible commends planning, and the church requires that planning. And third, in your outline, the mission that God has given advances with planning. The Apostle Paul exemplifies this in his own ministry. Paul had a plan. Paul operated with a plan. Again, contrary to what many of us may think, as we read in the book of Acts, it looks like things just happened for Paul. But Paul actually intentionally thought about what he was going to do and then what he was going to do next. He had an itinerary. He did not haphazardly undertake his missionary journeys. He established an itinerary, and we know that because the Bible tells us that from time to time the Holy Spirit would intervene to change his plans. Acts chapter 16, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, 
having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So they had planned to go to the province of Asia. That was on their itinerary, but God had other plans and he sovereignly moved in another direction. But the point is, Paul did not haphazardly do these things. In fact, he visited, as you read through the book of Acts, in his missionary journeys, you see that he visited population centers. The cities to which Paul went were not just any cities, but they were population centers. And he followed intentional steps when he got there in order to carry out the Great Commission in those cities. So he chose those cities carefully and intentionally followed what one has called the Pauline cycle. The Pauline cycle. In all of these cities, he did a number of things. He contacted the audience within that city. He communicated the gospel to the audience. People were converted by God's grace. The believers then were congregated into churches. Their faith was confirmed as they were established in their faith taught the rudiments of the Christian walk. Leadership was consecrated. The believers were commended and encouraged in their further walk with the Lord. Relationships within the church were strengthened and continued. And then sending churches convened to send out more people like Paul had been sent to them. He had this cycle. And it didn't just happen on his first missionary journey or his second missionary journey. But rather, this is what he did each time he went out. As a result of that, from the very beginning, our church has each year taken time to consider the future and to intentionally plan for it. Now, as I said at the beginning, this has taken place in our annual servant seminars, at which I would always begin by reading an imaginary entry from my journal on a day at the end of the plan. Our first church plan was for 15 years. It ended on November 6th of 2016, just over three years ago. Each year in the run-up to that, I would read the imaginary journal entry for that day, November 6th, 2016. And that journal entry documented where we were by that time and in turn gave us instruction for what we needed to do in the years between in order to get there. So if you follow, so say it's 2008, and in our meetings in 2008, I would start by reading this imaginary journal entry and say, this is what we think our church is going to look like in November of 2016, and I would read that. And that would constitute our vision for the future, and then we would take out of what's there things that we need to do in the coming year in order to move forward, and we would do the same thing the next year and the year after that. That was our 15-year plan. Our current plan is a 10-year plan. And it is slated to end on Sunday, September 27, 2026. Just under seven years from now. The first was a 15-year plan, and now we have a 10-year plan, and I always joke that they get shorter as I get older. So here is... This imaginary journal entry for September 27 of 2026. It's fairly long, but it's important for the life of our church, so bear with me as I read it. This is September 27, 2026. This evening we celebrate our 25th anniversary with our annual celebration dinner. We expect 400 adults to attend as our church now has 700 who are members or regular attenders. 
We're having it in our new auditorium because the gym fellowship hall that was the old auditorium will not seat that many for dinner. That old auditorium would be what we're sitting in now. About 40% of those who've come to CBC in the last decade came to Christ through our ministry as we made contact with them through our evangelistic ministries like Upward Sports, Christianity Explored Home Study, Discovering God series, Worldview Discussion Sessions, and Intentional Outreach, even through our in-reach ministries to children, teens, young adults, men and women. Others began attending by word-of-mouth invitation, hearing about us through our local cable TV program, mailers, door hangers, newspaper ads, yard signs, and other forms of advertising. Still others came because they saw our lighted building driving north on Fort or found material help through our community cares mercy ministries of food and clothing or spiritual help through our family life ministries to parents, couples and seniors and so on or via our community counseling center and recovery ministries. Still others read about us on Pastor Ken's Church Matters blog. Whether young or old in age or young or old in the Lord, all have been offered opportunity to grow through holistic discipleship that addresses the mind, affection, and will. Each of our frontline ministries has a target objective of either learning, loving, or living, all of that part of our mission statement, but all at least touch on all three of those. They have learned as their minds have been fed in children's ministries that have taught through an intentional scope and sequence. Our teens have received thorough worldview training and our adults have benefited from ongoing Bible education. But each demographic has also been given avenues to, quote, love God and others and live for his purpose, the second and third objectives in our mission statement. All have progressed in Christ's likeness on what we call the road to maturity, though at different rates. We've made use of our resource center for articles and DVDs and books as it functions as a not-for-profit bookstore to our members. But all of us have battled sin and its effects, so many have been helped by our crisis ministries for restoration in order to be put back on that road to maturity. The spiritual growth of our church has resulted in numerical growth, and that's necessitated a commensurate expansion of leadership. Our leadership team is now double what it was 10 years ago, and our pastoral team is now at eight, including pastoral interns. Most of those on both the leadership and pastoral teams have been trained in our own men's and leadership ministries. One of the interns is training for church planting, the second time that we'll be sending out a trained planter with a group of 50 members as the initial core group. The first plant is in Huron Township. And CBC is seeking God's direction for the second location. In between, we participated in church planting efforts through a network of like-minded churches pooling resources to advance the biblical mission. Two weeks ago, we held our third annual church health conference for pastors and leaders put on jointly by CBC and our church plant in Huron Township. We've also been asked to participate in three church rescue operations whereby CBC provides a team to oversee the church's operation and nurse it back to health. Last year, we had our third foreign missions trip as we visited the Shermans in Zambia, helping with projects at the Central Africa Baptist College there. This morning's message was delivered by our senior pastor designee as our intentional transition plan moves to its conclusion. 
It's been years in the making, and the congregation is alive with excitement and gratitude, confident the Lord has provided the right man to lead his church forward. That confidence has come through a thorough examination of his character and doctrine and skills as he and his family have spent several years at CBC serving and growing so that the church is united behind the leadership of one of our own. We went through a lot to get to this point. Some things we tried just didn't work out. We had to endure the pain of disciplining some disobedient members. We experienced the sweet sorrow of losing some brothers and sisters to this life, but we rejoice that they've gained their reward in the next. We've had to remain steadfast through the latest fads and trends in ministry and the ever harder opposition of an increasingly secular society. But by God's grace, we are now an epicenter church whose faithfulness to the gospel is not only having impact in Trenton and the surrounding area, but in other regions of our nation and the world. God has continued to provide the resources necessary to fuel the vision as his people have stewarded their resources, giving of themselves and their treasure, and many leave a financial legacy for the mission when the Lord calls them home. At 64 years old, I look forward with great anticipation to the Lord's work in the next five-year church plan. Now, that plan in writing is available on our, in, in, our, in the lobby on the Welcome Center desk. And so if you don't have a copy of that, I would encourage you to go and pick one up today. And it is both sides of the sheet. So it's a single-page sheet, but don't just read the one side. What I just read to you goes on both sides. Well, there's a lot that's packed into that. And we only have about seven years now left to get it done. We know we will probably not accomplish all of it. For our 15-year plan, we didn't get to everything, and some of it has been carried over to this 10-year plan. But we were able to accomplish the vast majority of it, By God's grace, we hope to do the same with this 10-year plan. So I'd like to update you on our progress and lay out some things that we hope to pursue in the coming year. Over the past two years, we've chosen to focus on some of the outreach components of that plan that I just read to you. And so I did a series this past summer in our Discovering God Hour called Evangelism for the Faint-Hearted. Brother Troy Fisher just concluded a series in our Wednesday Evening Community Institute on relational evangelism. The plan says that many of the people that we will have at our church by 2026 will have come because, quote, we made contact with them through our evangelistic ministries and intentional outreach even through our in-reach ministries to children, teens, young adults, men, and women. What that means is leveraging the ministries that we have so that each of those ministries develops an outreach mindset and avenues to make contact with those who need that particular area of ministry. And each year, what we've done over the years, and again this year, is we select two or three or four of the items that are embedded in the plan and we focus on those for the coming year. And if we don't get all of them done in a particular year, we just carry those over to the next. So for 2020, I want to tell you some of the things that we'll be pursuing. The plan mentions that our annual celebration dinner in 2026 is taking place in our new auditorium and that this room has become a gymnasium and fellowship hall. 
Now, in order to get there in under seven years, we have to start planning now. And in fact, we started planning some time ago. In God's providence, a little over a year ago, we received a call from a developer asking to purchase some of our property for a mini subdivision. We deemed his offer to be too low, but we've since communicated with another developer that has the possibility, at least, of starting the project this year and at a price that we can accept. Of course, we're going to keep you posted on those developments and any final decisions will have to be approved by the congregation. The plan also mentions that people have found spiritual help through what we call our family life ministries to parents and couples. And to that end, last year, Family Life sponsored the Oneness Marriage Series throughout 2019. In this next year, the focus is going to be on parenting, using material from entrusted ministries. And in fact, the founders of Entrusted are going to be with us the weekend of February 1 and 2, a Saturday and a Sunday to kick that off. That's listed in your program with some of the details. Next week, we're going to have an insert in the program about this. Now, an important development in this coming year in the Family Life Ministry is that Pastor Larry and Julie Castle will be joining Pastor Rich and Tracy in that ministry. Larry and Julie will be leading the Young Married Ministry, something for which we have an increased need after the unique year of weddings we had in 2019. And the castles are able to take this on because they've successfully transitioned now to Clay and Laney Weaver assuming responsibility for the high-impact teen ministry that Larry and Julie have led for all the years of our church's existence. The plan also mentions that we'll have what we'll call the Community Counseling Center and Recovery Ministries. It's a big project that requires planning for a few years before its launch, but we began in 2018 by sending our pastoral uh, staff and one other CBC couple to biblical counseling training now two years in a row, 2018, 2019, and we'll be doing so for a third year this coming year. We also had, as most of you know, biblical counselor Rick Thomas at our couples retreat this past fall and at CBC the following Sunday. Rick's ministry offers training for biblical counselors that we may end up using to staff our center. I say may because I've learned just within the last two months that Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary is poised to become a recognized training center for the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors next month. So that may well be the avenue that we will use in the future. The 10-year plan also includes our senior pastor transition. I want to bring you up to speed on where we are with that. But first, I want to make sure that everyone is clear on why we're doing it and what it'll mean. We're doing it because too many churches fail to plan for transition, and when a longtime pastor retires or leaves, they're left wondering what to do, and the church then suffers. And it's also the case that a church tends to age with its pastor. The older the pastor gets, the older the congregation gets. Now, that's for a number of reasons, including the inevitable loss of energy as you get into your 60s, so that Things just slow down for the pastor and in turn for the congregation and the younger people can end up frustrated at the lack of progress and initiative. And so we started a couple of years ago to think about how we can avoid that problem in our church's future. 
And I explained in some detail last year that we've identified a candidate and we're taking three years to roll him out to the congregation. The complete transition will take several years, so I'm not leaving anytime soon. That's good news for my wife. I don't know about the rest of you. <laughs> but I hope you're, in, you're okay with that. I'm not planning to leave anytime soon. And don't plan to leave even, in fact, when the new senior pastor is here, unless you say otherwise. But he and I have been in discussions for nearly two years. And he and his wife have met our leadership team. And then on a separate occasion this past year, they met with our ministry coordinators. And this past September, he and his family attended Sunday morning service here, unbeknownst to most of you. As of two weeks ago, he's completed a, a doctor of ministry degree, something that he wanted to finish before making a move from his current ministry to come on staff here. Now that that's done, he and I are meeting on February the 4th, just over a month from now, to discuss the timetable. And assuming plans have not changed on his end, and that's always a possibility, then ideally we'd look to have him preach and teach here in the coming year and see them join us sometime in 2021. He'd then be on staff for several years before we make the transition. The plan also includes church planting, which may take the form of church revitalization depending on what doors the Lord opens for us. I've told you in recent congregational meetings that we've been asked to help a dying church in Southgate and since the summer, I've been working with them to develop a plan. That plan includes locating a pastor. And that first prong of the plan was completed just two weeks ago as the church voted to call a young seminary student that I had recommended to them. The church will look to relaunch under a new name in September. And they're going to need a relaunch team, which is the second thing that we've committed to help them with finding a team of people who are willing to come together and be part of the relaunch team. So you'll hear more about that in the weeks and months ahead, including at our family meeting on January the 26th in the afternoon, 2.30 in the afternoon. The plan also includes, as you heard me read, church health conferences that we would lead and host. To do that, we need to network with those who can benefit from it, something that I've been doing for several years and which took a significant step forward this past year. I was asked to participate in a monthly gathering of young church planters in order to provide mentoring and coaching. We had several meetings this past year starting in the fall, and I see this group and those who will follow in the future as eager for what we can offer in those future church health conferences. So, for this coming year, we look to add to our young married ministry, potentially sell and develop a portion of our property, finalize plans for our future senior pastor to come on staff, and help relaunch a church in Southgate. As you can tell, we have a ton to do, not just this year, but in the coming years. But I am excited about all of it. And I hope you are as well. Now, friends, 
We're going to need all hands on deck to see these gospel dreams realized. And that's why over the next few Sundays, we're having this mini-series now, having reminded ourselves of why we believe God has called us together and what we believe he wants us to band together to do in the years ahead. Now we need to spend some time thinking about what needs to happen on the part of all of us in order for this to be able to move forward. So next Sunday, Pastor Larry is going to preach. Pastor Larry is going to preach a message called More Than a Motto. Pastor Larry has given a lot of thought. He has taught our teenagers over the years very well regarding our church's purpose statement, our mission statement. And in the name of that sermon, being more than a motto, he wants to go into some detail as to how that fleshes itself out and what it means for each of us. Remember, our church's mission statement is Community Bible Church exists to do three things, help people learn about God, love him and others, live for his purpose. Pastor Larry will be talking about that next week. And then for the next couple of weeks after that, I'll be talking about things that all of us need to do in order to be used by God to move what we believe is his plan forward. And so here's your take-home truth then. This is what we need to do, brothers and sisters. Let's commit to the Lord whatever we do. And according to Proverbs 16.3, he will establish your plans. Let's bow and ask him to do that. Our Father, we thank you again now for the conclusion of another year. And we look forward to the beginning of the next one. Lord, we thank you that in your grace and in your providence, you have brought us this far. We thank you for establishing this beachhead for the gospel in the city of Trenton. We thank you for the many, many blessings that you've afforded us as your people in this church. Lord, indeed, we have many things to look back on and to to celebrate. But Lord, we don't want to simply look back, but rather we want to build on what it is that you have established. We want to look forward. We want to look forward because you gave us a mission that is forward-looking. It goes from Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And so it goes to the regions beyond. And So, Lord, we have developed these dreams, these visions based upon the principles of your word in order to move forward in a way that we hope is and pray is pleasing to you. And, Lord, we invite you, we ask you to do as you did with your servant, the Apostle Paul, and change our plans, change our direction as you see fit. Because, Lord, we hold these plans not with a clenched fist, as if they belong to us and they must happen the way we want. But we hold them before you with an open hand. And we ask you, Lord, to do your will then and to direct us accordingly. And may we gladly adjust everything we do according to what you bring into the life of your church over these next few years. But, Lord, whatever you choose to do, we commit it to you. And, Lord, whatever fruit you give... For the gospel as it moves forward, we will give you the praise because the glory belongs to you and you alone. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.